Hello, everyone. I'm Debbie Batat, the CEO and founder of Surge, and this is Surge the Podcast, a podcast spotlighting plastic and reconstructive surgeons and aesthetic practitioners who have truly changed the medical landscape. We are talking about the journey of their incredible careers, how they built their practices, their views on creating an outstanding patient experience, and their perspectives on the latest topics and techniques in the aesthetics industry. And now we are thrilled to welcome you to Season 1, Episode 4 of Surge, the podcast. I'm absolutely honored to welcome today's guest from Buenos Aires, Argentina, Dr. Raul Banegas. Dr. Banegas holds a degree in general surgery as well as a specialization in plastic and reconstructive surgery. In 1996, now 24 years ago, when the first botulinum toxin arrived to Argentina, that would be Botox, Dr. Banegas was among the earliest users. And before that, in 1995, Dr. Banegas had started his work with injectables. At the present time, Dr. Banegas is the medical director of the prestigious Allergan Medical Institute in Argentina, and he gives courses and fellowships in his clinic in Buenos Aires. As a longtime member of both Argentinian and International Plastic and Aesthetic Surgery Societies, he has lectured around the world. And in addition to that, he has co-authored books, clinical studies, and referendums, and acted as the principal investigator on a retrospective and comparative study of two botulinum toxins. In today's episode, Current Concepts in Facial Aging, we discuss the fundamental rules of facial aging, which are crucial for planning aesthetic interventions and creating natural and pleasing results for rejuvenation of the face. Dr. Banegas will present the anatomy of the face, options for the prevention of facial aging, guidelines for appropriate patient selection, and potential contraindications. So first of all, welcome, Dr. Banegas. Welcome to our show. Hello. Nice to meet you, and thank you for the invitation, Debbie. Thank you. So let's begin. First, tell us when and why you decided to become a plastic surgeon. Okay. This is a long story because uh, at the age of five or six years old, I think, I decided to be a medical doctor in order to help, to, to take care of my grandmother who had a disease in, in, that, in those ages. After that, I, I entered and graduated in the, in the medical school. And while I was fi finalizing my, my, my career, I began to see and watch many of the surgeries and then I had the opportunity to see an operating room with uh, aesthetic procedures. So I got involved with this from that age. I mean, in 1989, I think. So let's start now a little bit into some of the concepts um, of facial aging. And could you tell us about the exact process of aging as well as how this differs between men and women? Okay, I will begin with this uh, concept. 
you know, I usually assess or well, evaluate the face as three miners, different miners. First of all, as an engineer, because I look the face with beams and columns, uh, it means the basic structure. And then I see a face as an architect. I evaluate the, the walls, I mean the falls, the main structures, cheekbones, lips, eyelids, and their position in the face. And finally, as an interior designer, because it means wrinkles, sunspots, skin texture. So, uh, so far, and this, until these days, we used to divide the face in thirds. You know, the upper third, the, the mid-third, mid and the lower third of the face. But this is a, from a topographical point of view. Um, so this is a two-dimensional description. But what about, about the, the 3D perspective? Uh, you know that every kind of tissues in the face are uh, involved with aging process. And not just the skin, but also the fat pads that everyone knows. The fat pads uh, since 2007, described by uh, Joel Pesa, uh, the great anatomist, and uh, Rod Roddick. So they describe and they publish all the fat pads and all these fat pads in the face, the, the place, uh, the, the, its volume, except two one above the nasolabial fold and the other one, the bulldog, the jawline, okay? Um, so our goal is to reposition and restore this uh, kind of uh, fat pads. Uh, so we have the skin, the ages process of the skin, the fat pads, which is the soft tissue beneath the, the, the skin, and then the muscles who suffer a sort of uh, elongation, and then the bony structures, which is very important because of the resorption, mostly in women because of the hormone process, I mean, the menopause, okay? So all these concepts make that the face will suffer any kind of um, aging process in, in order to separate this process in two steps, two stages. One stage, the first stage is the deflation. And then the second stage is the second. If we look at face, a head, I mean a head, from a drone from upstairs, we can see a front view of the face, the lateral view of the face, and uh, the third side, which is the mid-profile of the face. This is the youth face. I, I call this the youth face because this is the, the side which we lose when aging. Okay? This is a 3D assessment of the, the, the shape of the face. And moreover, what if we, we can analyze the face from a functional perspective? I mean, Dr. Brian Mendelssohn, which is a, a very famous plastic surgeon and anatomist from Australia, he described the division in two parts of the face, the front view of the face and the lateral view of the face. The front view of the face 
is uh, tend to deflation and sagging. Instead of that, the lateral phase is tend just to deflation, but not sagging, because we have a lot of holes in the in the front face. I mean the, the orbital holes, the mouse, the holes for the for the mouse and the hole for the nose. All this kind of uh, the front face is destined to the communication. Instead of that, the lateral part of the face is destined to the mastication. The the lateral part of the of the face, which is the mastication, the mastication part, because uh, we have the the temporal temporalis muscle and the mastodon muscle. Above these muscles, we have the skin with a lot of attachments who sticks the skin to the surrounding tissues, up to the bone even. So there's not the sagging, but the deflation. So our goal is very different when we have to approach the front part of the face in, in, or the lateral part of the face. Based on these concepts that you've just mentioned, what do you recommend then at each stage? Okay, in the first stage, I mean, let's see a patient who has a 35 to 40 year old when the hormone depletion is not too installed in her in this patient. I mean, the fem, uh, the women um, in this process. Our goal is to uh, more than to restore the the loss of volume, which is not. Uh, mostly we have to compensate the harmony in the face because of uh, retromentonism or uh, some kind of asymmetry. So our goal is to um, give to her the harmony of the face. In a frontal face, we have a lot of shapes of the face. We have oval, which is the, the, the perfect shape, but we also could have a more square face or diamond-shaped face. Diamond shape is that kind of face which can see in, in uh, gymnastic people who lose a lot of soft tissue and fat pads. And we have the rectangle uh, type of face we have to uh, to to put the face in a more oval position but always respecting the the original shape okay so this is our goal up to 40 but then after 40 45 then we can begin to see the aging process the the first stage which is this the the the, the depletion so is the the depletion of, of the surround of the tissue of the sub tissue. So our goal is to restore this kind of uh, sub tissue, which means the fat pads. In the front phase, our goal is to uh, not just to volumize, but also to project, to give the correct position uh, of the structures into the face. And instead of that, in the mastication area, in the lateral area, our, our aim is just to volumize and sometimes to restructure the visible edge of the bony structure, mandibular border, zygomatic arch. Uh, that's what I mean. 
Can you give us an example of a treatment plan, um, both in somebody that's under 40, 45, and then over? What are the timelines that you're communicating to the patient, let's say within an 18-month period? And then also, how, how do you communicate this to the patient and how receptive are they to follow the plan? Okay. Uh, if I am clear and based my explanation based on anatomical, on fundamentals, very logical, they will get always my concepts and my proposal. The patient has to have to, to see and recognize in front of the desk that a professional knows uh, what he is saying and which are the fundamentals to have a treatment. Uh, up to the 40s, my, my assessment is just to uh, improve the, their skin, the quality of the, of the skin, and to make more harmonic proportion, and that's it. For instance, uh, the people at uh, 20, 25, they come to me to make just the lips. Because of the social media, you know, there is a very fashion, uh, the, the, the lips, the volume of the lips. But I must be conservative in all these cases. If the patient comes to me and asks me to, to, to give a lot of volume that I do not agree, I decide not to do it. After the 40s, uh, when the depletion of the soft tissue comes, then I'm explaining uh, all the concepts um, based on the soft tissue and the fat pads, and they will recognize all that I'm saying, and they will be agreed. After that, I, I use uh, a Vectra. I don't know if you know the Vectra software yes, from Campbell Lab. Okay, I, I use the Vectra. And I explained all the, those explanations that I said to him before, I explained in the Vectra, so they realize and pop up, which I mean to, to assess. I can explain the patient. First of all, the proportions, the golden proportions. I, I don't know if you know about that, but the golden proportions are very useful for me uh, because uh, they explain very clearly that if the width of the face is one, the, the height of the face must be 1.618, for instance, and then and so on. Uh, so I, I can use the Vectra in order to, be, to, to let them know the proportions. And after that, the deflation, because it's very important for me to see the deflation in a volumetric perspective. But Vectra allows us to, to explain the patient this way, volumetric perspective. So you find it useful for you? Yes, very useful. Good. So can you talk a little bit about contraindications and potential pitfalls that the practitioner should be aware of? Yeah, okay. So, uh, this is a, a great tip that I usually use, is to say no. And I think my best advice to the audience is to learn to say no, because you take around two weeks in no one technique. 
you take around two years and have this the skill to perform that that technique and you feel comfortable in two years but you need around 20 years to learning to say no uh, because some kind of patient with this morphophobia came to my office, come to, usually come to my office, and asked me many things that I don't agree. So um, I tried to explain this uh, no decision to make something on her, and, and I prefer to, to stay away from this kind of patients. How do you know when they come into your practice? What are some signs that they give you or that you've learned over the last 20 years? How do you know when to say no? <laughs> it depends on uh, which area we are talking about. But mostly the, the, the most frequent uh, ask for me is the lips, the lips and the cheekbones. And when I see that the lips uh, proportion comparing to the whole face is okay, I try to explain in, good, in a good way to say no, and I give my fundamentals to give no because of the proportions and blah, blah, blah. But if the patient continue and even show me some Instagram picture or whatever, I, look, doctor, I, I want a lip like this, I, I realized that she is not very in a very good position to, to discuss about this topic. So I prefer to stay away from this kind of patient. And I explain my fundamentals, okay? What about the patient who currently has a permanent filler? Do you treat the patient or not? Oh, a, this is a very long discussion all around the world. If you receive a patient who already have a permanent filler many years ago, the normal uh, answer that I have to say is no, don't treat it. But, but uh, for instance, if the patient already have a permanent filler in the lips, I think you can uh, inject... Uh, other other areas, for instance, the cheekbones, for instance, the mandibular border, but avoid, avoid, please avoid to treat in the surrounding area of the lips. This will be my my advice. The first thing that I have to say is no. But if we if if, if you have to inject them anyway please avoid the, the area in which the permanent filler is located. On the other hand, we have to talk about the autoimmune disease because even if we are not injecting the patient in the same area that they already have the permanent filler, you can uh, pull the trigger in order to an uh, autoimmune immune, uh, reaction. Um, we don't know yet which is the, the main cause that we can pull this trigger uh, in order to, to wake up this immunity reaction. And there is uh, often seen in three or four months after the procedure, your procedure, I mean, 
you can treat some patient in the cheekbones, but she already had a permanent filler in the lips, and this is okay. And 15 days after the procedure, this is okay. You take the pictures, uh, the the post pictures, and you are proud of your job and everything is okay. But three or four months later, they come to your office and show that every part of the face treated and not treated are inflamed with inflammation, with uh, swollen and even bruising. So this, this redness and this swelling is very difficult to treat even with hyaluronic days. The hyaluronic days we use with a lot of success when the patient is uh, naive and they don't have uh, permanent fillers before, but if you treat the patient with the permanent filler already put in the face, we can uh, go into a mess because the, the nodules that it forms is very hard. They are very hard and very difficult to dissolve with high ordinary days. This is a fascinating topic. We could go on and on. Thank you for that. So now we conclude the interview and we'll get into the rapid fire questions, which we ask all guests at the end of the interview. First of all, in your field of work, who was a great inspiration for you and why? Who? Okay. I think two people, well, many, many people, of course. Jean and Alistair Carrado were my professors because they were the discovered that this is a couple, Alistair Carrado, who is the dermatologist, and Jean Carrado, who is an ophthalmologist, who introduced Botox in the aesthetic field. So I appreciate and I'm so grateful for them. But um, I think uh, Dr. Arthur Swift from Canada, uh, was one of my first inspiration because they uh, taught me to to see the face in another perspective. And then um, Dr. Brian Mendelssohn from Australia, he gave me all the basis, the anatomical basis, in order to explain myself and the patients um, the, the correct process of aging. And if you could re recommend one guest to be on this podcast next, who would it be? Uh, I think Arthur Swift could be one of them. Okay. Is there any one tip that you've learned along the way in creating your aesthetic practice that you think is the most useful for somebody in the audience who may be starting their own practice? The first thing is they have to know very, very acute uh, the, the anatomics because it's very important for injectables to, to be aware of this because of all the, the, the vascular um, accidents that we have to make or we could make, we have to avoid this vast intravascular injection. So I ask all the audience to, to learn a lot of anatomy first. Can you tell us one pivotal moment in your career, one moment in your career that changed everything? Okay, with no doubt, Botox. Uh, when Botox arrived to my hand as a remedy of uh, erasing wrinkles, 
I, I couldn't understand in 1996. Uh, so, because why am I, I, I point the Botox as a moment, a pivotal moment in my career? Because we were taught about to have a knife in our hands for all my career. And then in 1996, suddenly a syringe came to my hand. So I have to change my mind in order to live a little bit the, the, the knife and to, to keep uh, a syringe in my right hand, you know? Yes. Amazing. And the rest is history. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, those are all the questions that we have for today. We really appreciate your time with us here today. And it's been wonderful to have you as our guest in our fourth episode. So thank you again for your presence with us. Okay. Thank you, Debbie. I appreciate That was Dr. Raul Banegas from Buenos Aires, Argentina. For more inspiring interviews with experts like him, subscribe to our podcast, Search the Podcast. If you're happy with what you heard, please spread the word on your socials and don't forget to rate us. It makes such a difference. If you want to be in touch, please send us an email at info at surge.is. That's I-N-F-O at S-U-R-G-E dot I-S. Thank you for listening. <laughs>